Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. To Protect and Serve Even after working in homicide for more than six years, Mackenzie never got used to arriving at the scene of a murder. You'd think that after having covered so many cases, he'd have become inured to seeing a dead body or a crime scene. However, he always experienced a chill when he saw a homicide victim and wondered who they might have been and what led them to this gruesome fate. In this case, he'd arrived a mere 20 minutes after being called. After walking up a slight hill in the woods along State Highway 45, he came to the murder scene. The victim, a young woman in her late 20s, rested on the ground, surrounded by grass and leaves beneath the tall trees that obscured the sky. The body laid on her stomach, with her head turned to the left. There were no immediate signs that would indicate the cause of death. There was no blood visible on the body, no visible wounds or trauma. There was nothing about her clothing or the ground nearby that might indicate violence. He started to survey the scene, but halted involuntarily when he saw her expression. Her eyes were wide open, a look of terror and fear frozen on her face. Mackenzie drew closer and knelt near the body. Her skin was pale. She had no pulse and was cold to the touch. He would have to wait for the forensic team to finish their work and clear the area before he'd be able to do anything more than confirm that the victim was dead and perform a cursory visual inspection. Mac estimated that she'd been dead for several hours before a passing hiker had found her and called the police. Slowly standing, he resumed his examination of the scene and the surrounding area. Her limbs were akimbo, as if she had fallen while running, but there was no trace of a struggle or fight. Her shoes and clothing did not seem suited to the forest. She seemed out of place. Rick, his partner, waited downhill by the side of the road where he had parked their car, ready to greet the CSI team when they finally arrived. Unfortunately, there was no telling how long that would take. The station was more than 15 miles away, and medical teams gave higher priorities to injured or dying patients than they gave to dead ones. They could be here in minutes, or he and Rick could end up waiting for hours. Once again, he wondered who she might be and what she had been doing out here. A cold lump formed in his stomach as he thought of her as someone's daughter or mother, someone's wife or sister. His lack of knowledge at this time made it difficult for him. He didn't know who she might be or how she died. He wasn't even certain yet whether or not her death was a homicide but the mask of horror on her face seemed to confirm that she had not died from natural causes. Perhaps it was all the questions he was asking himself that had led him to become a detective so long ago. Ideas and possibilities raced through his mind as he studied the dead woman. The cause of death won't be obvious, said a voice from behind him. Standing abruptly, Max spun around and his hand snapped back to touch the gun on his belt. About 15 feet away, he saw the silhouette of a man wearing a hat and a long coat. 
He could not see the man's face, but the figure stood motionless. It will take some time to discover that it was brain damage that led to her death. Resisting the urge to draw his weapon, Mac asked, Who the hell are you? And... Wait, said the stranger interrupting him. I'll explain, but we don't have much time. My name is Vester. I want you to know that I'm here to help you, detective. But, as I said, there's little time. Mac took a quick step forward and moved to grab the stranger, but his hand passed through him as if he were completely intangible. As Mac's eyes grew wide in dismay, the stranger said, That's because I'm not really here. What you are seeing is nothing more than a projection, much like a hologram. But how? Look, you're going to have to stop asking questions for a moment. I'll explain, but like I said, we have to hurry. Who are you? I'm a visitor. Someone much like yourself. Someone who's been assigned to address the unfortunate murder. Stepping back, Max stuttered as he said, You're... you're... That's correct. I'm not from this place. As I said, I'm a visitor, an alien from somewhere else. I'm not from your world. Pulling his gun, Max said, I, I don't believe you. You're... I'm an investigator, like yourself. A detective of sorts. You see, the killer you're seeking is also not of this world. To catch him, we'll have to work together. You and I. Neither of us will be able to apprehend him alone. And put your gun away. If you shoot at this hologram, you won't harm me. But you'll alert everyone down by the road. You wouldn't do anything except interrupt this conversation and frighten everyone else. Mac was finally stunned to silence. I know this is a lot to accept, said Vester, but please listen to me for a moment. Mac interrupted. You look human. Yes, but I could look like anything if you want. If you wish, I could look like this. A quick flash of light blinked and the stranger was gone, his image replaced with that of a small alien in a silver suit with large black eyes and long slender arms and fingers. Or... I could look like your stereotypical bug-eyed monster from one of your old sci-fi movies. Another flicker of light flashed, and the small alien was replaced by a large hulking form with glowing red eyes and long thick arms that ended in sharp, glistening claws. On the other hand, I could appear to be something far more benign. With a final blush, the monster was replaced by a small girl in a light blue dress, looking like an image of Alice in Wonderland. But we don't have time for this, said the stranger. The small girl was replaced once more by the image of a man in a long dark coat and a brimmed hat that obscured his face in shadows. I'll have to be quick, said the alien, and I'll only get to say this once. This is a murder by a fugitive that I have been hunting. It is not his first, and it won't be the last. It's my job, like yours, to end this matter. But the murderer is not of this world, and I can't apprehend him by myself without drawing far too much unwanted attention. I'm here to help you, if I can. What do you want of me? Asked Mac. Just listen to me for now, but don't tell anyone else about this conversation. 
no one would believe you anyway. Finish your work here, and then search your criminal databases for similar deaths over the past several months that have occurred in the counties that border this one. All the deaths will have been deemed unusual and will be nearly identical to this one. We'll have to work fast. If we don't catch the killer here, he'll move on again, and we'll lose this opportunity to end his killing here. When you've confirmed that what I've said is true about other cases, we'll meet back here. I'll be waiting again in exactly ten hours, and we can talk more. Remember, I'll return here at 10 p.m. your time, if you're interested. We could work together. If you decide that I've told you the truth and that you want to hear more, then come alone, detective. Then the image of the man simply faded away. Looking around, Mac couldn't see any sign in the leaves and grass around him that would indicate that anyone else had been there. Hey, Mac! came a shout from downhill. It was Rick. The med team's finally here, he called. We're coming up! His head spinning, Mac barely had time to collect himself before his partner in the forensic team appeared and began processing the scene. Rick talked a lot as the team took control of the body in the surrounding area. Mac, on the other hand, was unusually quiet, and his responses were uncharacteristically short and laconic. Mac spent the rest of the day writing reports confirming the victim's identity and trying to establish the woman's cause of death. As the stranger had predicted, the coroner determined that the woman had died from damage at the base of her brain. The doctor suspected she had suffered from a massive ischemic stroke, but a definite cause would have to wait until after an autopsy was performed. Despite the fact that the woman's death was classified as undetermined, it was flagged as suspicious and therefore remained on the docket of cases to be investigated by homicide. After talking to the coroner, Mark had Rick check on the woman's friends and associates, telling him to construct the timeline of the victim's activities for the days leading up to her death. In the meantime, Mac conducted database searches and confirmed that three identical deaths had been reported in the nearby counties over the previous month. Because they were in different jurisdictions, no one had linked them together or considered the possibility that they might be related. The day wore on, but everyone in the homicide squad wrapped up their work, and they had all gone home by the time it was dark. Mac, however, loitered around the station for several more hours before driving alone to the crime scene he had visited earlier in the day. At first, Mac didn't see anyone at that location, so he pulled out his flashlight to search the surrounding woods. He panned the light in a full circle before seeing the shadowy form of the stranger once more. Vester, called Mac, is that you? Yes, replied the alien. I'm glad you decided to come. I assume this means that you've confirmed that what I told you was true? Yes, said Mac. So tell me, what's all this about? The stranger stood with his hands in his coat pockets and didn't reply for several seconds. Then he said, the killer is an extraterrestrial, not too much different than me. He is from another world and has come here to hunt, so to speak, for prey. An alien? Yes. You see, your planet is a protected area. 
Intelligent life is extremely rare in the galaxy, and since your species has not yet developed spaceflight, the galactic community has established special protections for this world until your species advances enough to qualify for probationary status as a full member of our society. What do you mean, protected? You mean like a game preserve? Actually, that's not a bad analogy. Yes, your planet is proscribed, and outsiders are forbidden to approach or land here. There are others who work with me to ensure that outsiders don't come here and interfere with your world. Then, stories about UFOs and aliens are true. Well, yes, at least some of them are. You see, despite our efforts to keep others away, sometimes sentients from other worlds sneak through our perimeter defenses. We have ships that monitor and patrol your world to keep outsiders away, but a few unauthorized visitors slip through. Such intruders rarely interfere with your species. Most are harmless tourists who simply want to see what's here. Most are captured or caught quickly, but a few, like our culprit here, deliberately evade us and cause trouble. So this outsider is a killer, then? Yes. Well, actually, he's more of a poacher, if you want to continue your game preserve analogy. I'm in charge of this region of space, and it's my job to keep others from intruding here. So I guess our patrol ships would be like park rangers, and I'd be the game warden. Mac nodded thoughtfully, slowly processing all this new information. The stranger continued, In any case, we both have the same job for the moment, to find and catch this criminal, and to keep him from committing more murders. Why is he killing people here? For sport? For food? No, though there are a few other species that would do so, if we weren't here to stop them. No, this one has a different objective. Profit. What this creature does is trap and hunt local game, and record them as they are chased and killed. He records these activities, and records them so he can sell those recordings on distant worlds. You mean like a video recording? Mac shook his head in dismay. I think I understand. It's rare, but we sometimes have deviants like that, who do the same thing here. They're called snuff flicks. Good. Then you will appreciate what I'm trying to stop. It is very rare in our society, too. And it is illegal on our worlds, just as it is in yours. But these recordings are more than just visual records. The victims are outfitted with a device that attaches at the base of the skull. The apparatus then records all sensory experiences of its victims, who are subsequently terrorized, hunted, chased, and eventually killed. The recordings can capture perspectives of both the hunter and the hunted, and they can allow others to experience those same sensations. There is a small but illicit market for such recordings on other worlds, and buyers who want to experience exciting sensations of other beings. Many are benign, like sentients who want to know how it feels to fly high into the sky or to swim deep in the ocean. Such technology allows users to become a predator that can run at tremendous speeds or feel what it is like to be a savage beast that can fight or kill. Such buyers are voyeurs, and sadly, some like to share darker experiences. 
like murder, said Mac. Yes. Mac thought for a moment. Okay, I presume that your technological capabilities are far superior to our own. Vester nodded. Then, with all your technology, why do you need my help? Because his technology can detect ours, and he always gets away before we can catch him. But don't you have the same technology? Can't you detect him? Yes, but he has some stealth capabilities. When he moves, it can take us hours to locate him. If I simply apprehend him, the most that I would be able to charge him would be with the equivalent of trespassing. He'd only receive a cursory fine and, what do you call it? A slap on the wrist. If I'm going to bust him and get what you'd call a good collar, I need to catch him in the act. And for that, I need your help. While we can track him and pinpoint his location, we never know when he is going to start stalking prey until it's too late. We can't even get too close to him because he can detect us too. What we need is for someone who is local to place a device on his ship. That way we can tell when he leaves his ship and starts a hunt. We can't get close enough to attach the sensor without alerting him, but you could. That's all you would have to do, but I assure you it wouldn't place you in any danger. Mac thought about it. If you just did this little thing, said Vester, then we could tell when he has selected a victim and captures them to outfit them with a recording collar. Would you be willing to do that? Why me? Several reasons. You are, like me, a law enforcement professional. You know what is at stake, and we share the same priorities. You've also confirmed that this is a serial killer, who will strike again unless he's caught and stopped. You know what's at stake, and you want him captured as badly as we do. And finally, you understand that neither of us can do so alone. We need to work together. Mac thought more, considering several options. He wanted to say no, but realized that other innocent people would die if he didn't help. Finally, he said, Okay, just tell me what to do. First, look behind the tree to your left, said Vester. Mac did so and found a gold circlet and a small silver disc. The first device resembled an oversized coronet. The second looked like a tiny silver plate. What are these? he asked. The headband that will conceal your presence and protect you from the killer. The disc is a sensor that needs to be attached to his ship. It's magnetic and will affix itself automatically to the ship. All you have to do is to get close enough to touch it to the hull. Then you should be able to sneak away as easily as you approached. Reaching back and touching his gun, Mac asked, How dangerous will this be? With a masking device, said Vester, you shouldn't be at risk at all. Once it's attached, we'll know when he hunts again, and we'll be able to catch him in the act the next time he leaves his ship. Nodding, Mac wondered if he was really helping or if he was making a serious mistake. So when do we do all this? Asked Mac. If you're ready, we could do this tonight. This is going a bit fast, thought Mac, but he sighed deeply and steadied himself. I guess if we're going to do this, we might as well get it done. 
Otherwise, I'm liable to come to my senses and change my mind. That's the spirit, said Vester. I was hoping you'd say that. So how do we start? Asked Mac. Well, if you look at the reverse side of that disc, you will find GPS coordinates of the hunter's ship. It's only about 15 miles away, and you should be able to use your vehicle's navigation system to get within less than a mile from his spacecraft. He is not far from a dirt road, a firebreak that runs through the woods. If you drive there, you could complete your mission in less than an hour. Once you exit your car, you should be able to drop off the disc and return in less than 15 minutes. But don't worry, we'll be monitoring you the entire time, and we will meet you when you get back to the highway. Are you ready? Yes, replied Mac. Good, said Vester. I'll see you there. Then the alien's image faded away and disappeared. Mac felt stupid wearing the little golden circlet on his head, but everything Vester had told him had proven to be true. As he crouched behind a tree, he peeked and saw the ship. It was far smaller than he had thought it would be, and it was only about twice the size of his car. The ship was a dark matted gray color and blended so well into the surroundings that without the GPS on his phone, he would have never found it. It must only carry a single passenger, thought Mac. Stealing himself, he stood and dashed toward the ship. Slapping the disc to the hull, he turned to go, but the disc fell to the ground. Mac picked it up again and reached out to affix it to the hull again, but lights flared around him, blinding him. Then he blacked out. Mac seemed to regain consciousness almost immediately, but he really couldn't tell how much time had passed. It could have been minutes, hours, or even days. He struggled to his feet, but found himself alone in the dark. Checking, he found his watch, cell phone, and gun to be missing. The circlet he had been wearing was also gone, but a three-inch-wide metal collar was now affixed to the back of his neck that he couldn't remove, no matter how hard he tried. Glancing around, he saw a tall black shadow rise up before him. It spread its wings, and two glowing red eyes stared down at him. Food, it grumbled in a barely articulate growl. At last, the master has decided to let me eat. As it stepped toward him, the beast lowered its head and opened a maw that revealed far too many rows of teeth. The fear that welled up in Mac grew until he was nearly paralyzed. He staggered back a step and almost fell, but in doing so, he leaned back enough that the monster's teeth snapped out on open air instead of on his exposed throat. He threw himself out of the way and, rolling, managed to regain his footing. Then he ran into the night. Without any consideration of where he was heading, all he could think of was to get away. He ran through brush and branches slapped his face as he ran with reckless abandon. He fell several times, once cutting his hand on a sharp branch or root, but scrambled to his feet in his effort to escape. Once, as he rounded an outcrop of rock, the beast appeared in front of him and roared. Spinning on his heels, he took off in a new direction. His lungs burned, and his arms and legs felt heavy, as if he was burdened with massive weights. And he would have screamed if he had had any breath to spare, but all he could do was race deeper into the darkness. Shortly thereafter, 
Fear consumed him completely, and he lost all track of anything except escape. He didn't know if he ran for minutes or hours, but he kept running until he finally fell and could not rise again. He tried to crawl, but found himself so weak that he couldn't even support himself on his hands and feet. Barely able to breathe, he rolled on his back and gazed up at the predator's face. Closing his eyes, he tried to pray, but darkness claimed him once more. When he opened his eyes again, the beast was gone. Leaning over him stood Vester, silhouetted against a peaceful starlit sky. Taking a deep breath, Mac sucked in a lungful of cool evening air and slowly sat up. It's okay, Mac, said the alien. It's over. We got him. Mac reached up and touched the back of his neck and found that the metal collar was gone. What happened? he asked. I thought that gold thing that I wore on my head would hide me from that thing. Oh, that was just a prop. It really didn't do anything. I only gave it to you so you'd think it would protect you. You lied to me? Well, a little. But I told you the truth when I said that you were really in no danger. My greatest fear was that you'd have a heart attack. The adrenaline and cortisol that the sensory collar injected into your system created so much fear that we had to consider the possibility. But you did fine. We caught the hunter in the act of recording you as you fled, and we stunned him just as he was going to finish you off. Mac looked around and found that he was on the ground next to his car. Beside him were his belongings, his watch, his wallet, his cell phone, and his service revolver. Then Mac's eyes grew wide, and he shouted, You tricked me! You used me as bait! Yes, admitted Vester, but we caught the perp, and we couldn't have done it without you. Now the murders will stop, and we have the killer. What he's done is considered a capital crime, and he will be punished. He will never have the chance to repeat his crime. Mac thought of dozens of things to say, many of them profane, but he knew it wouldn't change anything. Well, I'm glad things worked out for you, but I've still got nothing to show for all of this. For my bosses, the case is still open, and the murders, unsolved. On the contrary, said Vester, you have the body of your murderer, and the collar that he used to torture and kill people. A body? But how? Well... The poacher apparently had a side business capturing human specimens and selling them to distant, uh, taxidermists. He had several in storage, and we can use one to serve as the body of the murderer that you sought. But the collar, said Mac, won't they recognize it as alien technology? Vester shook his head. No. We found the collar that was used on the most recent victim, the woman you found. We burned out the electronics within it so they won't be able to recognize it as more than half-melted scrap metal made from an odd alloy. The caller, however, will have enough of the woman's DNA to confirm your story. You can say that the killer used it to electrocute his victims. But they'll identify the body, said Mac. This story won't hold up. Oh, that won't be a problem. This body is from his last killing spree in Nicaragua. He'll just be an unidentified killer, and the case will be closed. 
Max slowly climbed to his feet, steadying himself on the side of his car. So, what will happen to the poacher? Will your people kill him? Oh, no. We don't have the death penalty. He'll have his memories erased, and will be given new ones. Then he'll work to pay for his crimes. How's that? asked Mac. Oh, he'll be given a new personality and will spend the rest of his life protecting this planet to make sure things like this don't happen again. You mean... Yes, he'll be one of the park rangers that patrol this planet. It's poetic justice, and it's also the only way we can get anyone to fill jobs like this. This place is something of a backwater world, and it's not a particularly popular assignment. However... Solving this case will mean a lot for me. I'll get credit for the capture, and I might even get a promotion. If I manage to wrap up a few more cases like this, I might even get a transfer out of here. You don't like it here? Oh, it's all right. Quaint, peaceful. But it's pretty far out in the boondocks, as you call it, and there are much better duty stations. Glancing up the nearby hill... Max saw what looked like a very old man in a silver suit, though he was only the size of a small boy. He sat with his back against the tree, his hands covered with metal restraints that bound them together. Is that him? asked Mac. Yes, replied Vester. He's not nearly as formidable as the holographic projection that he used to scare you. Gesturing at the ground near Mac, Vester said, Hey, you forgot something. Looking down, Mac noticed a small cloth pouch. Picking it up, he opened it and found that it contained three gems, each larger than a nickel. What is this? asked Mac. Well, said Vester, as I said, I'm sorry for deceiving you. If your people knew what you've done, they would give you a commendation. But since they won't, I thought this might show how much we appreciate your help. Perhaps it will serve as a form of remuneration. Examining the gems more closely, Mac blinked, realizing that they each had to be five carats or more. They were worth a fortune. I hope it's enough, said Vester. Still staring at the gems, Mac nodded absentmindedly and said, Yeah, They'll do, thanks. Finally pointing across the road, Vester added, Hey, you'd better come look at this body. Our technicians have made it look like he died from a fall he took while running through the woods, but you need to come see him. In the meantime, we'll remove the prisoner and his ship. Then you can call the local police and have them send a team here for you and the body. As Mac rubbed the back of his neck, he asked, So, do you think we'll ever meet again? Who knows, said Vester, shrugging his shoulders. It could happen. After all, it's a small world, and I might need a local partner again someday. Then Vester paused. But now that you mention it, there is another situation that I have that you might be able to help us with, there is a tourist who wanted to visit here, who crash-landed and got lost. We still need to find him. But let me ask you a question first. Have you ever heard of Roswell? 
As Vester's subordinates took the body away, Mac and Vester walked up the hill and discussed the new case. Thank you for listening. Now, you know we love our listeners, fans, and patrons. If you loved what you heard in this episode, please subscribe to the Untold Tales podcast and leave us a review on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or the podcast player of your choice. Help encourage others to enjoy these wonderful stories by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and other amazing authors and narrators. Again, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day.